Shel Silverstein wrote a poem about this uh, that goes along with that video. He wrote, she had blue skin and so did he. He kept it hid and so did she. They searched for blue their whole life through, then passed right by and never knew. Any Shel Silverstein fans here? He's pretty good. Uh, masks are these pretty universal things that we all take up every once in a while. Hopefully only every once in a while. Sometimes we take them off because we see somebody else take theirs off, like in the video. Sometimes we keep walking by each other, never bothering, never even knowing that we can take them off because we're afraid to show the blue skin that's underneath. We're afraid of what people will think and say if they see what's under the masks that we're wearing. We wear them to hide things that we're ashamed of, that we're afraid of showing our pain, our anger, our bitterness, our various types of brokenness, addictions, sometimes even illnesses that we don't want people to know about. We wear them to cover up so that people don't see who we don't want them to see, so that they don't see what's underneath, so that they don't make comments, so that we don't have to have that conversation about those things. We wear them because we're worried that we won't match up to everybody else if we show what's underneath our masks. And we are really good at doing this from a very young age. Like this is almost like, it's kind of an amazingly quick learning. You know, we, we're really slow at learning a lot of things, like really slow at learning a lot of things. But doing this, covering up what we're ashamed of, what we're afraid of other people seeing, we're really good at from a young age. For me, that was my anger. I was a super angry kid, like really, really angry. Uh, I uh, was angry that my mom died when I was a baby. I was angry that my dad remarried somebody who I just flat out didn't get along with and had kind of a bad relationship for most of my childhood with. I was angry that my life didn't look like everybody else's, that it didn't look like what I thought everybody else's life looked like, that it wasn't this like nice, fun, lackadaisical existence of childhood that I would read about in books and see in TV and on movies. And so I was just mad. And every once in a while, it would come out. It would roar its ugly head. And I was a yeller. I broke a lot of stuff as a kid, like a lot of stuff. Uh, I, one time, I think it was like third or fourth grade, a kid was messing with me at basketball practice, so I decked him, knocked him out, which was problematic. I, it was like, I'm not going to lie, I was a head shorter than him, so I wasn't too upset with myself, like, you know, I was kind of impressed. But my dad was the president of the school board and a pastor, so that did not go over super well with everybody. Uh, this was a school function that I did that at, so yeah. Uh, I found out a couple of years ago that, along with that, that many uh, kids in my elementary school were actually afraid of me. Um, which, I was like, I was scrawny, guys, let me tell you, I was a super scrawny kid. But they were afraid of me because they never knew which Stephen was going to show up, how angry I was going to be in the moment, what, how I was going to kind of pop out and come after them. They never knew what was going to show. 
And so as going through childhood, growing up a little bit, I was desperate to find something to cover that up. Because no one likes being the angry, emotional kid who can't control it, right? That's not fun at any age. And so for me, like for most pastors, I would say, uh, church was the thing that was really easy for me. And there were some good sides to it. I did love Jesus and I was called to leadership. But I also just found out that I could do that, and it could kind of be the mask that I slid on over that became my identity a little bit too closely. So I jumped into it head first. I was preaching a couple times a year by the time I was 16. I was leading in youth group. I was leading Fellowship of Christian Athletes at school. Like I was really, I was a professional Christian from a very young age. Uh, I, I knew how to do this well. And it became my identity in some very unhealthy ways as a kid because I was always afraid that if I took off the mask, that if that angry little boy reared his head, that it was all over, that I'd be done, that no one would accept me, that everything that I had kind of worked towards that I wanted would be gone. And it took me a long time to work through that, because like the Shel Silverstein poem, I was too afraid to show my blue skin that I never stopped to think that everybody else has blue skin too, that we all have stuff that we're really trying to cover up. And in Mark 7, we're going to see Jesus call out the Pharisees, who were the pastors, theologians, spiritual leaders in Israel during that time, for kind of doing the exact same thing that I did, for being really, really good at following the rules, at playing the game of religion. Meanwhile, underneath, their insides were kind of rotting away because they weren't dealing with the stuff that actually mattered. They weren't dealing with their heart and focusing on Jesus. Instead, they were focusing on everything else. This morning, I want to talk about masks, and I want to talk about brokenness, because here's the cat out of the bag. We're all broken, every single one of us. We all sin. We all have stuff. We all have things that we're ashamed of, things that we're afraid of other people finding out, every single one of us. And it's important for us to figure out how to follow Jesus in the midst of that how to allow him to come and to touch us, to begin to work in our hearts with the reality that we are who we are and we're broken in various different ways, but Jesus is still welcoming us and that he wants to bring freedom and healing to us. So will you pray with me as we begin this morning? Jesus, I just thank you for your presence here. I thank you that you bring healing to areas that we're frankly not quite sure how to ever heal, uh, or if it ever will be healed, uh, things that we've tried desperately to cover up, uh, that you are the one who's able to reach in and to bring wholeness and to bring healing to us. And I just ask this morning, Lord, I, I ask first that there'll just be a strong sense of safety in your presence this morning, that we'll be really aware of that. Uh, that this is a safe place to kind of take off our masks, to show what it is that's underneath, to allow you to begin to heal us. And I pray for freedom, that these things don't have to be 
the only thing that's true about us, that they don't have to be the thing that defines us in our minds, that they can just be another thing that's taken to your cross that you take away, that you bring healing for. And so I ask for that this morning. Just come, Holy Spirit, bring your freedom, your healing this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Mark 7, open up if you're not already. We'll begin in verse 1 and skip around a bunch. Here's what it says. One day some Pharisees and teachers of the law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. Super exciting right there, right? Verse 5. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning, washing your hands. No. Why does this matter? Do you ever, like, just honest truthfulness here, do you ever read some parts of the Bible and you're like, why did that come up? Like, how is this the thing? Hand-washing, really? Now, maybe some of you are like grabbing your hand sanitizer from your purse or from your wife's purse right now, and you're like, actually, just the thought of it's grossing me out. I got to make sure I'm clean myself. You know, that's fine. That's safe place for you if that's, your, if that's the case. But ritual hand washing, what is going on here? Why does this matter? You know, the Pharisees were really good at taking these like really unimportant things, these rules, and making them huge, blowing them up to these extreme sizes. And this was an example of this. They would take the law that God gave, and then they would add to it, and they'd keep adding to it, and they'd keep adding to it. Then they'd throw it at everybody else. Don't you love that when somebody else imposes their own rules upon you? That's always fun, right? And that's what the Pharisees had done here. The interesting thing is that this Jewish ritual of hand washing that they're mentioning is not actually a, a rule for everybody. When it was given, it was only for the priests. It was something that was thrown out there for priests to do before they did offerings in God's presence. That's what this was about. And the Pharisees had taken it and they said, okay. We are going to make this our own thing as well. Like, and if they were sitting here and they're saying, you know, we just really feel like God wants us to do this. This is for me. Uh, God wants me to live to a different standard of purity than he's asking everybody else, etc. That would be fine. If they took it for themselves, for their group, that's good. But the problem was, was that they took this rule and lots of others like it, that were meant for the priests, that were meant for specific situations, and they took it and they built on them, and then they threw them on everybody else and said, you have to do this all the time. Otherwise, you're not holy. We're going to be holy because I wash up to my elbows every time in boiling hot water with five different types of soap. But you, who just stick them under the faucet for about five seconds, you are not holy. There's something wrong with your relationship with God because you're not doing this thing that I'm imposing upon you. The disciples were not breaking God's rules at all. The disciples had done nothing wrong. The thing that was happening 
was that they were breaking the Pharisees' rules. And the Pharisees were upset about this. So let me ask you this. What happens when washing your hands becomes the focal point of your worship? When how you wash your hands becomes the most important part about how you connect with Jesus, you're on a really bad path. When your rules, practices, and traditions are necessary for you to connect with God, when they're necessary for you to worship, you're on a bad path because you're missing it. You're not even focused on God at that point. You're focused on other things. One theologian wrote that amazingly, we can have a passion for God and yet not know God. We can be deceived, captured, and enslaved by the deadly lure of legalism. Our pride in our religious rituals, church practices, and cultural traditions can blind us to our sinfulness and our Savior. You can have a passion for God and yet not know God. That's like textbook for what's going on here. The Pharisees had a passion for the framework around how you knew God, for the rules surrounding it that were built to help you to connect with God. They were really passionate about figuring out everything, dotting every I, crossing every T, connecting all the dots to make sure that the framework worked really, really well. But at the same time, they were so focused on the framework that they stopped looking at God. All that they were looking at was the framework. They had a passion for the things of God, I'll call it, but they actually weren't even seeing God anymore because they were so focused on everything else. Now, I am not here to bash tradition. So if you're sitting there and you're like, yes, here we go. Sorry, that's not where this is going at all. I think that there's a lot of beauty in tradition. I think it's awesome that we can pray prayers that other Christians have prayed for hundreds of years, that today and every Sunday there are people all across the world who are taking communion and who are being baptized. I think that liturgy and sacrament can be really, really good things. I think tradition has deep value. What I'm more worried about, what I'm focused on this morning is not bashing tradition, not throwing it out, but it's where our eyes are at. I'm here to talk about what happens to each and every one of us when we allow traditions and rules, our own practices, the ways that we best connect with God to, be, to kind of take control, to become the focal point of our worship, simply because we're afraid of who we would be without them because we're afraid that there wouldn't be anything left without those things. And just in case you're curious, we Vineyardites have just as many rules and traditions as the Catholic Church does. They just look a lot different. We do things in our own specific way. And if those things are necessary for you to connect with God, then we're in a dangerous place. Our hearts aren't in the right spot. I'm worried about what happens when those things block us from being able to see Jesus, because that's what happened to the Pharisees. Look at verse 9 and 13 with me. 
Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your tradition. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. The message translates verse 13 this way. You scratch out God's word and scrawl a whim in its place. I like that. Basically, you scratch out what's in stone and you write something in pencil over top of it. You take what God's given you and you try and add on. But in the process of doing that, you basically took out what God was giving you and you just made it whatever you wanted to add on. That's the only thing left at the end of the day. He calls the Pharisees hypocrites, which is a, a harsh word, right? Uh, not one that we like to, to toss around very often. Uh, but he calls them hypocrites because of this, because they're, they say that they're focusing on God, but in fact, they're replacing what God's saying with what they wanted to say. And we could kind of do this ourselves as Christians, as churchgoers. In fact, I think we're honestly uh, a little too good at this, if I can say that. I think we're a little too good at critiquing other people and how they want to worship, the things that they do. Uh, and we, all of us, fall prey to this. We kind of talk out of both sides of our mouths about it. Uh, we'll say things like, you know, those tradition-obsessed Catholics with their, their incense and their robes and their organs. And then we slide to the other side and we say, but I better be married and buried in one of those beautiful churches, not something that looks like this. <laughs> I'm sure many of us have said something along those lines. How about this? All those mega churches do is just talk about Justin Bieber and, and being happy. They never talk about the Bible anymore. But did you hear that new worship album? That was really good. <laughs> Song number four, that was it. That's what did it for me. Those liberal churches, all they ever do is just talk about love. They never talk about Jesus anymore. But did you see the Episcopal Bishop Michael Curry at the royal wedding last week and The View and the Today Show? Man, he brought it, right? Or what people might say about us every, every once in a while. You know, those Pentecostals and Charismatics, they're way too emotional. All they do is yell and cry, yell and cry, yell and cry. They're just so flaky. But I wish my pastor had a little passion when he preached on Sunday. We do this all the time. We're out both sides of our mouth, critiquing other people at the same times. You know what that makes us when we do that? Hypocrites. There's no way around that reality. We turn ourselves into something. That's what the Pharisees are doing here. You know, and the... the the amazing thing, the, the encouraging thing, the important thing is that we're not stuck there because Jesus has no interest in us remaining there. He keeps pushing. He doesn't allow us to remain as hypocrites. He keeps pushing us more and more towards himself. Look at verses 14 to 23. It says, then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You're defiled by what comes from your heart. Verse 17, then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd. Uh, I like when Jesus 
is a little antisocial sometimes, makes me feel better. His disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Do you not understand either? He asked, can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. Thanks, Jesus. Appreciate that one. (laughs) Right. Very, very clear right there. That's good. And then he added, it's what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Jesus is super clear here. The issue is not what you're trying to make it. The issue is not the external. We're really good about making the issue the external, the outside things. He's saying that's not the issue because you're already poisoned inside. He said you're putting on a hazmat suit when you've already inhaled the toxins. It doesn't matter at that point. It's too late. What you need is medicine, not protective outerwear. The issue is your heart. Your face isn't broken. Your heart is. And a mask is not going to cover that. Try as you might. That's not the issue. You know, I was thinking about this, and a great example of this is a house that hasn't been lived in for decades. Anybody ever been inside of one of those? They're really interesting because you can look at the outside, and it's not bad. You know, it, it looks a little, you know, it can use a little touch-up, but so does the house that we live in. So, you know, there's that. And then you start to go inside. And when you go inside, you see it's kind of strange because everything's still in their place. There's still shoes in the closet. There's chairs in their spate, in their spot. There's paintings on the wall. It's even kind of, kind of got a beautiful thing to it. Uh, maybe an eerily beautiful thing, but it's, it's, it can be beautiful. But then you go and you pull aside the wallpaper. You lift up the carpet. You go in the basement and you look up at the floorboards and you quickly start to realize that those decades have done one important thing to this house. It's rotting and it's rotting from the inside. It's falling apart. It may look okay outside. It may look like that's not the case, but this isn't a fixer-upper. It's already too far gone because it's been neglected for way too long, neglected and abandoned. Jesus was frustrated with the Pharisees and then with his disciples because they were missing the big picture. He didn't care how many coats of paint you put on the outside of the house. He didn't care if you had the best lawn crew in the entire state that came and did your front lawn and your shrubbery. That didn't matter because the inside was already rotting. It was already completely falling apart. Washing their hands wasn't the issue. The food that they ate wasn't the issue. The issue was that their hearts were wrong and they were completely neglecting their hearts. He's yelling at them. He's shaking them a bit. He sounds a little cross when he's saying it, right? Like, Jesus needs to be nice to me. 
but he's not here and he's doing it because he's worried. He's deeply worried about the state of their hearts because Jesus knows that neglect is as bad as purposeful and intentional destruction. Neglecting your heart is as bad as purposefully and intentionally blowing your life up. And we judge people for blowing their lives up. We have lots of TV shows about that today, actually. Uh, It's like a favorite pastime of ours, watching people do stupid things that are going to ruin their lives. And we judge that. But neglecting your heart, refusing to acknowledge what's going on underneath is just as dangerous. Inattention to to the state of your heart is deadly. You can't cover it up forever. You just can't. Would that we could, but we can't. John Ortberg says it this way. He says, genuine brokenness pleases God more than pretend spirituality. Genuine brokenness pleases God more than pretend spirituality. God is much more okay with you, you know, with your life being blown up, with you showing your issues than he is with you pretending, coming to church every Sunday and pretending like everything's okay and neglecting the sin, the stuff in your heart. Because the reality is that we sin. Every single one of us sins. You may have heard that list that Jesus gave of sins, and you like kind of subconsciously straightened your mask a little bit, put your head down when your thing was said. Hopefully you didn't do the awkward chuckle. Uh, Oh, (laughs) can't deal with that one. Uh, (laughs) You're like, nobody's looking at me, right? Uh, I can't process this right now. This is too much. When you heard your thing, whatever it is, the list is long. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, stealing, murder, adultery, greed, lying, lust, jealousy, gossip, pride, even foolishness. Now, if, that, if there isn't anything that nails all of us, it's at least the last one, right? <laughs> so let's do this. Let's all at once take our masks off because we're all in that camp. I'm in it. Jesus called me out. My stuff that I struggle with is in that list. So is yours. We all sin. None of us are perfect. Now, maybe we're not at some of the, the top numbers of that list. You know, probably not many of us have murdered. Uh, I'm going to hope at least. Don't give me that confession later on. I don't want to deal with that one. Uh, I mean, you can't, but no, I don't. Uh, But not many of us have done that one. But the other ones, like, he hits us. He calls us out there. And he didn't do it so we could just tighten our masks and dig in deeper. He did it so we could be free. Now, maybe you, like many people in our culture today, are sitting there and you're thinking, well, I don't know that, that sin is so much the thing, you know, like I think that most people are good. Cool. Let's go from there, huh? <laughs> most people are good. You know, we tend to not believe in judgment or sin in our culture, and that's fine. So let's start from that spot. I think even if that's the case, that many of us would admit that we still struggle with shame 
that we still have things that we don't want other people to see. And so we do a really good job of trying to cover it up. I mean, I think that that's why addictions are so high. That's why uh, opioid use and, and drug addiction is so popular, not just with the poor, but also with the really wealthy, because we're all struggling with stuff. I think that's why suicides happen, because we're all dealing with something. We're all trying really hard to keep up appearances, to set up barriers that keep other people from seeing the reality, because we're worried that if they read our mind, if they hear our thoughts, if they knew what was going on inside of our house, that they would completely reject us, because we're worried that what we've done is worth being rejected for. We're worried that our stuff's that much worse than everybody else. We're clean and imperfect, even if we can't or won't categorize why. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, God speaks to a man named Samuel, and he tells him this. He says, God does not see what the Lord's, or man does not see what the Lord sees, for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. You know, there's really good news in that. It may not feel like it at first. But even if you've done a really good job of crafting a mask that no one's been able to, be, to see beyond for years, that's been faithful and true for you for a long time, even if you've done a good job of holding everybody at arm's length and only letting them see what you want them to see, there's still one who sees it, and that's Jesus. And he's seen it from the beginning. He knows it intimately. And he has never rejected you. Instead, he welcomes you. And he welcomes you with open arms while you still have that going on, not after. In that moment, he's still there. He knows. I want to invite the worship team to come back up as we come to an end. You know, Jesus doesn't want us to take our masks off so that we can be humiliated. He doesn't want us to do it so that other people can see our hypocrisy, the things that we've done wrong. He wants us to take it off because he loves us deeply, because he cares about us being set free and being healed and whole. He wants us to take it off because he knows that if we keep it on, we're never going to be able to deal with what's underneath. The only way you can get healing is by taking it off. Freedom comes the second you take it off, but you have to take it off. You have to take away the power from it. And that's what Jesus wants. There's a hymn titled, It is Finished. And the final verse says, Cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. I think those words ring pretty true to this process. It might feel counterintuitive, it's probably going to hurt a little bit. But if you're willing to take it off, to lay it at the feet of Jesus, healing can begin to come. Forgiveness begins to come. Freedom comes at the feet of Jesus. So this morning, I just want to encourage you to take it off. Cast it down. Let it go. Stop avoiding it. Please stop neglecting it. And allow Jesus to begin to heal you, to bring, to bring freedom to you. And the end result is this great thing. You'll start seeing Jesus a whole heck of a lot more in you than you ever did before. As we do this, we become more like Jesus, not more like what we're afraid of becoming. There's wholeness in this process. 
So will you stand? The worship team's going to lead us in a couple of songs, and they'll be back up to invite us to respond to what the Holy Spirit's doing. As always, if uh, there's a prophetic word, if you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you, come and grab me at the side, uh, and I'll guide you to share it at an appropriate time. But let's pray as we transition. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come right now. I just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. I just pray that you'll break off the power of fear over us, fear of what will happen uh, if we do take off our mask, if we do kind of release ourselves from whatever the, the sin is, the brokenness that holds on to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll just come and break that off. I pray that this morning that we will, in your presence, find the grace and the, uh, the safety to take it off, to lay it all down at your feet. So we just ask for you to come, Holy Spirit. Come and do the work in us that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.